unlike some people in our world, and doesn't make me any better or any worse, I grew up in the church. From the moment I was born, uh, I went with uh, I, I went with my parents to church every Sunday that they went to church. And if they didn't go to church, I didn't go to church because infants just don't go places without their parents. But I always went Sunday after Sunday. I grew up, uh, and eventually I was there Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, middle of the week for choir practice and the like. Now, I was raised tacitly to believe, no one said to me, James, this is the truth, that the only place you meet God is in the sanctuary. But I came to believe this was the sacred space. Here I am in this space, on this space. Now, if we were a really churchy group, we would call this the chancel area because it's designed to be a set-apart space in Roman architecture. The design of a church was based on Roman municipal buildings. So the chancel and the nave and all of the words that we don't use at St. James were all the words for how sacred the space was and who was allowed in certain spaces. I knew when I was growing up tacitly, yet again, no one said to me, don't do it, but only people who were allowed to come up on the stagey area, which by then I was probably taught was called the chancel area, were people who wear robes. They wore all sorts of robes. They wore, when I was growing up, maroon robes, because that was the color of all of, except for that preacher person, and they always wore black robes when I was first growing up. And so sacred people apparently wore sacred things to go up in front of the sacred space to make it even more sacred than it was before. And once we were finished in the sacred space, we went back out in the world. And that was just the world out there. Now, I can still remember in my late junior high school days when I was invited to go with the senior high MYF on a camping trip. Now, the Carols, that was their last name, Verna, Verna and CJ Carroll, uh, were a married couple in my home church. And if any of you know who Marge Webb is at St. James, Verna Carroll was the Marge Webb of my home church. That is, when you stood next to her, she just oozed love all over you, and she had this soft, gentle voice so that when Verna was talking to you, you felt like you were the only one she was talking to, that you were the one that mattered. Well, I went on this camping trip, and we sat around a campfire, and uh, Chip Payette, one of the youth from my home church, and a couple of other folks pulled out guitars, and we sat around the campfire, and we sang Kumbaya and Pass It On, and I don't even know all the songs that we sang around that campfire anymore. But something felt different there. It felt different to me in a way that being in that sacred space had never felt before. 
But until I recollected about it much, much later in life, I didn't realize that what I was having was an experience of the sacred because I thought the sacred only happened in places like this. You come in the door, you leave behind the secular world as if there could be a difference, and you come into the sacred space where we have a sacred world and sacred people tell us about how sacred we could be if we were only more like them. So be more like me and you'll just be sacred. The bottom line in reality is you are already sacred and every space you're in is already sacred. But I didn't have words for that when I was on that junior high school camp out, running around with a bunch of high school aged young adults that I still look up to this very, to this very day. Dana, still plays the organ at my home church. She grew up in the church, and she plays the organ and the piano. She's a gifted musician at my home church. Uh, but all of those folks, I didn't realize was having a sacred experience. I thought we were having a camp out. I didn't know camp outs could be sacred experiences. Now, today we're going to hear a story about a guy. His name happens to be Moses, which in Egyptian means drawn from the water. Now, last week you heard the story of Shifra and Pua, which were the midwives that refused to do what the king ordered, which was throw all the male babies in, uh, well, actually, to kill them when they're born. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, found out that you know, these midwives weren't doing their gig like he told them to. He instructed everyone to throw the male Hebrew babies into the Nile and drown them. And Moses' parents, uh, his sister Miriam and mom, and his mom decided, we're not doing that. So they built him a little boat, a little basket boat, and they covered it with tar, and they put Moses in it. And he went floating off down the Nile and apparently avoided the crocodiles and everything else that lives in the Nile until he floated into the garden of the, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, and she took him in and raised him as her own. Later on, Moses saw someone of the Egyptians mistreating a Hebrew slave, and so Moses became a murderer. He killed the Egyptian for... That, and he ran away from Egypt. Fast forward, and he meets the priest of Midian, Jethro, in some places, and, uh, but in any case, he meets him, falls in love with his daughter, and gets married to her, and so he tends sheep. So for the next 40 years of his life, for a long time, he's out attending the sheep. That's where we find him today. You might say, I was waiting for the scripture, James. Well, I wanted you to know where Moses came from. So Moses is out wandering around with the sheep. In fact, that's what it says. So I'm looking at chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, the second book in the Torah, and here is what it says. Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
Leading the flock deep into the wilderness, Moses came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The messenger of Adonai appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a thorn bush. Moses saw the bush is ablaze with fire, and yet it isn't burned up. Moses said, let me go over and look at this remarkable sight and see why the bush doesn't burn up. When Adonai saw Moses coming to look more closely, God called out to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses answered, I am here. God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the voice continued, the God of Sarah and Abraham, the God of Rebekah and Isaac, the God of Leah and Rachel and Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at the Holy One. Fast forwarding. Oh, we're not going to fast forward. Then Adonai said, I have seen the affliction of my people in Egypt how they are oppressed. I have heard their cries. I have felt their sufferings. Now I have come down here to rescue them from the hand of Egypt out of their place of suffering and bring them to a place that is wide and fertile, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Say that quick real fast. The cry of the children of Israel has reached me, and I have watched how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go, I will send you to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, who am I that you would send me? God answered, I will be with you, and this is the sign by which you will know that it is I who have sent you. After you bring my people out of Egypt, you will worship on this very mountain. But Moses said, when I go to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your ancestors had sent me, what do they say? What is this God's name? What shall I say to them? And God answered, I am as I am. That is what you will tell the Israelites. I am has sent you. If you get a chance this week, I encourage you to just pull out your Bible or go to an online Bible, if you will, and just read that third chapter. It's just fascinating reading about this guy, Moses. You can go earlier if you want to and find out that backstory about how he became a murderer and blah, blah, blah. It's all up to you. But it's an interesting story because Moses is doing what all of us do at some point in our life, work. He's just doing everyday work. Now, we think he's out tending the sheep, and that's exactly what he's doing. But for Moses, that's work. So if you go to an office somewhere or to a store somewhere or if you work online like anybody else does these days or even if you're retired from home and your work is keeping up with your friends and connecting and with your family and extended people, whatever you do with your life, think of that as your work. And Moses was working and surprise of surprises, guess what happens? He finds out where he is standing is holy ground. You know, you can only imagine, I can only imagine Moses. A little bit like me, 
There are sacred spaces. After all, his father-in-law is the priest of Midian. There's got to be some kind of priest thing that priests of Midian do. We don't know exactly, uh, exactly what their worship looked like, but the priest of Midian did something. People brought their animals to be blessed or whatever happened there. But there was a place you went. So Moses knew, just like I did. I'm not comparing myself to Moses exactly, except that he is everyone. He thought there was a sacred place that he left the sacred place behind to go to work. And the sacred place was where his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, did his priest of Midian stuff. So imagine his surprise when he's at work and there are sheep everywhere and he's wondering when the next bear or lion or tiger, oh my, will appear. When he looks over and he sees a bush that is glowing with the light as if of a fire and yet it's not burning up. Now, I'm sure in the desert everything's dry, so if it catches fire, it burns up, and probably burns up really fast. But this is not burning up. So Moses, being Moses, is curious. You would be curious too, and you wander over there. And you say, wow, it's a burning bush. And suddenly there's a voice that you hear or a feeling that you get or your eyes see something that you have never seen or known before. And for Moses, it is the words, Moses, Moses. Now, he's heard his name before, just not coming out of burning bushes that aren't burning. And he says, his natural response, I am here. And the voice from the bush says, take off your shoes because this ground you're standing on is holy. This is sacred ground where you are. We used to have a church that met at the old St. James building. And every time when they came in, before they went into the worship center to worship, everybody took off their shoes because they were going into a sacred space and they wanted to show respect for God. Now, if you were gonna take your shoes off wherever sacred space was, you just wouldn't wear shoes anymore. At least that's what I hear in this story. Moses is on the desert, is in the desert, and there's a, there's a hill, and there's a fire, and it's burning, and it's in the bush, but the bush isn't burning. It's not burned up. What's going on? Now, I think that Moses had a visionary experience of seeing the sacredness of, sacredness of even a throwaway thorn bush. Because the word is not just bush. It's not a burning bush, it's a burning thorn bush. Any of you who have a fondness for thorn bushes, good. I guess I probably, I, I mean, if you think about it, rose bushes are thorn bushes, and I have a fondness for thorn bushes if they're roses. God has a fondness for all the bushes, but. Thorn bushes are perhaps your least favorite bush. Let's just imagine roses don't grow on thorn bushes. You don't have any interest in those, except that's where God showed up. In a throwaway bush, a no good for nothing, just produces thorns bush. And that's where God shows up. 
and the ground around where God shows up is sacred. But the truth of the Bible that we have learned is that God shows up everywhere. So every place is sacred. If you're in this room, you're on sacred ground. But if you're online, if you're online, either live with us right now, or this is a later watch for you, I want you to feel your feet on the ground that you're on. Now, of course, if you're sitting on your couch and you've got your leg crossed or, you know, you're in the yoga pose while you're watching whatever, your feet might not be on the ground. But the next time you put your feet on the ground, I want you to think, this is sacred ground. Even if you're on the seventh floor of a building you live in, and right underneath you is not the ground, it's the people that live below you. And then the people that live below them, and below them, and below them. Nonetheless, that ground you're standing on is sacred. God is no less present there than God was on Mount Horeb, which, by the way, is also called by the name Mount Sinai. So if you've heard both of those in the Old Testament, then you've heard them both. They're both the same place, the mountain of God. That's the place where Moses met God, and you'll worship God here. And I think the challenge was that when Moses said, you'll worship me here, that he decided this is the place where God is, no place else. I used to think it was with my dad-in-law, you know, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now I know that it's here. And if you follow the story of the Old Testament, you know, the Israelites always located God in some place. For a while it was a tent went everywhere and then they built the temple and God was located there in the Holy of Holies a sacred little space in the middle but when Jesus came along and talked about the tear in the it's, whether it was a little tear or not I don't care it was that God had escaped from the curtain in the temple that is God is everywhere now God was always everywhere but Sometimes we have to be reminded. Now, what does that mean about the way you behave everywhere you are? Do you know when you go into Target, you're standing on sacred ground? When you go to Giant or whatever shop you shop in, Aldi or any other number of those for your groceries, you're, you're standing on holy ground. God is there. When you go to work, and for some of you, that means turn on your computer and go to Zoom. Uh, but for many of you, it means some space somewhere that you go to. When you're there, God is there. You're on sacred ground. Now, I'm not telling you whenever you go to all these places, you should kick your shoes off. Because by the way, no shoes, no service is you know, the reality for a lot of restaurants you go to. You know, particularly if you're at the beach. They want you to have your shoes on. It's health code. It's health code. But the bottom line is, think about it as sacred space. Then the waitress that comes to your table to wait on you is a sacred person. The customer who comes into your store, that's a sacred person. They're standing on sacred ground with you. How are you going to treat them now that they're on sacred ground with you? Like sacred people on sacred ground. Do you see how this story has so much power to it? You can't just locate God in spaces like this. 
as much as I tried to as a child. If everything and everywhere is sacred space, and everything out there is sacred in some way or other, then we are meant to treat everything and everywhere we are as if it's sacred. It matters. There is no customer service representative who is too below us because they're sacred just like we are. There is no president of a company or a country or any place else that is no, so far above us because they're sacred no more or less than we are. Differently, maybe, but not more or less. If we learn to treat each other like the sacred people we are, if we realize that everything we stand on is sacred, we'd probably stop throwing litter out the windows of our cars. Because we'd realize that we're throwing trash on sacred ground. Imagine what would happen if on Sunday morning a whole bunch of people drove by, got out of their car, came in the back door of the church building while you're sitting in here trying to worship and threw their old bottle in here or their old McDonald's trash right in here. You'd get a little up in arms. That'd tick you off a little bit. Why would it tick you off? Because this is sacred space. What are they thinking throwing trash in the sacred space? Maybe we ought to think the same thing about the building, and the grass, and the street. There's no end to the implications of this. But you know why we like to keep this sacred? Because then we don't have to worry about out there. We can do anything we want anywhere we are. Makes it easy, doesn't it? If it's not sacred, and if the people I meet aren't sacred because they aren't like me, I can say what I want to say. I can do what I want to do. I can think about them whatever I want to think. Can't I? I think the story of Moses says to you, no, you can't. You cannot treat the earth poorly. You cannot treat your neighbor poorly. No matter who your neighbor is or what they look like, or whether they irritate you or don't, whether they bring you fresh chocolate chip cookies every day or not. Mm, I wish I, I want that neighbor. I want that neighbor too. Brings me fresh chocolate chip. No. Gluten-free Gluten chocolate chip cookies could be good, except I wouldn't be able to wear these clothes anymore. We'd have to get a new wardrobe. But in the end, this life we've been given is sacred. This breath I'm drawing right now is sacred. That ground underneath your feet is sacred. That ground underneath your feet in your living room, dining room, coffee house, wherever you're watching this is sacred. And you are sacred and everyone in there with you is sacred and you're standing on sacred space. And if we could live like everything was sacred all the time, we would see God in the burning bushes of our everyday lives. Because suddenly that barista at Starbucks or the customer service representative at Target, or the person we call because we ordered something online and it came to us and it's the wrong thing, that person on the other end of the line, we would hear them as sacred. And instead of yelling them, because they were not the thing, ones that packed it up and put it in a box and sent it to you, somebody else did. So it doesn't help you to yell at the customer service person. They're sacred. They'll try to fix it for you, at least you hope. 
the challenge of our work in telling our stories as people of faith is that we are meant to see the world like a glowing vision of the burning thorn bush, a place where God will surprise us at work, at play, while we're shopping, while we're vacationing, while we're driving, when we come to church on Sunday, come to church on Sunday, God will show up. It's all sacred. We're all sacred, and we're meant to live like that. I want to encourage you as a practice this week to look closely where you are, wherever you are. You can do it right now. You can look at a person. If you're by yourself, you can look at the floor. You can look at the table in front of you. You can look at the screen on which you're viewing this event. Can you think of it as sacred? Can you recognize God's presence is everywhere? There is nowhere you can go that God isn't. Moses got to realize that. Murderer that he was. He encountered God at work one day in a bush that burned but didn't. And you can encounter God wherever you go. But part of his recognizing, take off your shoes where you are standing because where you are standing is holy ground. Live in that holy space, my dear siblings, for you are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. And that's part of our story. Surprise, God shows up in all the places you go. One of the things that we do every week when we gather is we pray together. And we have no particular prayer requests. Now last week on Sunday morning, I asked you to be in prayer for Mary and her family because she was in hospice. Little did we know when I was even asking you for that, that she had already died. So I want to ask you to pray for Mary's family and everybody who knew Mary. I don't believe, and I've met a lot of people who are very hospitable in life, I have ever met someone as hospitable as Mary. We used to go there sometimes to uh, once a year. They, they hosted the wine tasting at their house. Her husband, Bruce, is a retired general. And um, we would go there. And if you came into Mary's house and she was talking to you, it was as if you were the only person that was there. Never mind that there was all these thousands of things that were going out to be eaten and drunk and shared and talked about. If she was talking to me, it was as if I was the only one there. And when she finished talking to me and turned to someone else, it was as if they were the only one that was there. That was a gift she gave to everyone. So all of her children and grandchildren and her husband, Bruce, of 40, 37? 47 years, 47 years um, are left without Mary. And that would be... When we're left without someone we love and care for, it's always a big hole. But I want us to be in prayer for, for Bruce and his entire family at the loss of Mary. 
Um, I saw it while I was out in the world this week, you know, the, the challenges, you know, in a long-term pandemic, the stresses that come out, the way that they foment and people's way of talking to each other and seeing each other and willingness or unwillingness to mask, the defiance in doing it or not doing it, all of that kind of I'm right, you're wrong. And I worry about a world where everyone's right and everyone's wrong. Because if you believe what I believe, then you're right, obviously. And if you believe what anybody else believes that's not what I believe, then obviously you're wrong. And there are only the two ways of seeing it. There's not any kind of kindness. There's not any sacred ground on which we mutually stand, apparently, in our eyes. And I want us to live differently. I want to invite us to be a part of the story God was telling in the story of Moses. Respect and love one another as much as possible, making room for safety and kindness and love in the midst of it all. That's enough. We'll enter into a moment of silent prayer together. I'll pray out loud for us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, a version of which will appear on the screen behind me. So let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. God, you are our God. And we will always seek to love you, knowing that whether we do or not, you already love us. Teach us, O oh God, to live as though every moment, every breath, every heartbeat, every space we stand in and on and around, every person and being, an inanimate object that we encounter is sacred to you and if we are following you, to us as well. Help us to live like that's true. Even if everybody around us is oblivious. I don't know if Moses was by himself. Maybe he had 16 other shepherds with him, but they sure didn't take off to see the burning bush that Moses did. Maybe he was by himself. I don't know. We don't all see the world the same way, but each one of us can choose to see it as your sacred space where you unfold the sacred story every single day in little, tiny, and great big ways, and we're thankful. We pray for Bruce and his family at the loss of Mary. We pray for the lines that we draw and the way that we call each other names and feel good about it and comfortable because I'm right and you're wrong. Or you're right and I'm wrong in your eyes. And God, that's not the way you hoped we'd be. You imagined us as seeing the sacred in every moment. Walking gently on this earth, 
walking gently with each other's feelings and thoughts with respect, courage, and dignity. Help us, O oh God, to live that way. It's the way Jesus lived, and it's the way we want to live too. Thank you for all the gifts represented in this room and online who are joining us live or later. For the ones who won't hear these words, but who need to, Lord, may they know their sacred value and worth because they're made in your image like we are. Thank you for the gifts that bring us together and the opportunity to worship and praise you. And we ask this all, lift this to you in the precious name of your son, Jesus, the same Jesus who taught us when we pray together that we could pray in this way, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever.